Morning. You want to open up to Revelation 14. We'll read that together. Let me pray before we read this here one more time. Father, we're thankful that you love us, um, not because we deserve it, but because of your grace and who you are. And we're just thankful for that. Pray that you'd be near to us today in this time and in the fellowship. And then this week, we want to be equipped to serve you more and understand who you are better. We just need help. So we're looking to you. And we're asking this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, why don't we read here Revelation 14. We'll read the whole chapter here, starting in verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth was no lie found, for they are blameless. And then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to the people who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and the worship and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured f- full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast in its image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came from the altar, the angel who had authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung its sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Okay, we'll that's chapter 14, and um, even though there's a lot there, we're going to try and cover 
um, briefly the whole chapter. And the reason for that is there is a lot of repetition. And you might have noticed that we've covered kind of the end of the world and the new creation a couple times already, and as well as the judgment. And again, Revelation kind of repeats itself. Um, the All the scholars agree that there's some repetition. Um, they don't agree necessarily on how to divide it up. But the reality is, is that Revelation has a, a lot of the similar themes going throughout it, and we, as we've talked about before. Today, last two messages before this were kind of um, extremely detail-oriented in a way, and going to zoom back out and remember the, the big picture of what's going on in Revelation. And if I sound like a broken record, that's because we're covering the same thing over and over. So... Um, Maybe by the end, some of these things will be, you'll be able to remember these uh, without uh, me just, I don't know, drilling into your head, I guess. <laughs> and we can just trust the Lord in that. But I'm going to start by um, kind of a overview. This is things you've already heard, but we'll start with an overview here. Remember that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ, or the revealing of Jesus, same word. I'll give you an example Romans 8.19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The same word as Revelation, um, the title of the book. Or 1 Corinthians 1.7 says, You are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same phrase, translated revealing um, or revelation. The same idea. And when you think of the book of Revelation, one of the goals I said at the very beginning of this series and I'll repeat it now, is that when you think of the book of Revelation and you hear revelation of Jesus Christ, you don't think just of the beast and the dragon and all these more difficult parts of the book, but you actually think about Jesus, which is the title of the book, The Revealing of Jesus. And if, you, if we can get that down, the book will make a lot more sense. And every time we come to one of these difficult passages, like we just spent a long time talking about the beast and the number of the beast and all that, you always ask the question, I, I, I started with this and I'm going to keep saying this, how does this point to Jesus? What does this have to do with Jesus? Because that's going to be the way you're going to understand it, be able to understand these things. And that's where we are today. Um, there's a lot of parallels here from the Old Testament, sorry, I misspoke here, from this last chapter where it's talking about the beast and this chapter talking about Christ. And so to really understand this, the chapter before, we really have to notice, well, this is contrasting Christ. Um, and so we've got to remember that. But not only that, in terms of looking at the whole book, we want to remember what's the point? You know, what, what are we, why are we studying this book? What are we trying to get out of it? And I shared this story uh, when I started the series, but I'll share it again. I, I read this book on Revelation. I was thinking about it, and I made this, you know, kind of this chart trying to, uh, understand it, and um, you've seen it on the screen, the Venn diagram with the different positions and trying to think. I had another one that I haven't put up there, but basically like what passages kind of point to one of these positions or the other. And I read a, I read a book, uh, that pretty thick book, and then at the end I realized I don't know what to do now. I have no idea. I could tell you some stuff about Daniel and the Old Testament and the references and this passage is relating to this passage, but I don't know what to do. And I just felt like that's not right. <laughs> that's not sufficient. And especially 
these verses, is, I, I could be wrong, but as far as I could tell, these verses that I'm about to share with you were not referenced in this commentary or whatever. And here they are. It's the beginning and the end of the book. Okay? Uh, bookends the entire book, and it's, it's a promise. This is Revelation 1.3, and then I'm going to read Revelation 22.7. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And then at the end, very similar, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, or obeys. Blessed is the one who obeys. As we kind of get into the details, like we talked about last time, like some first century context about numbers and names and uh, you know Nero and the emperors and perils with the beast, the reality is, is that if you forget all that and you don't remember the specific details or you end up thinking, well, I'm still just not sure who the beast exactly is or if it's a Roman general or a specific emperor or it's none of those. It's just talking about corrupt rulers or some other position. The reality is that if you... Keep, if you hear and you obey the words of this book, you'll be blessed. Not if you know all the details of all the little intricacies and how they relate to every historical event going on right now. That's really, really important to to remember. I'll give you an example here. Which one of these questions is most essential? Which one of these questions I'm about to ask you is most essential, but which one is easier to answer? You ready? What are three views about Revelation or the Millennium? Okay. Or, what are three ways to keep or obey the words of Jesus in Revelation? I'm just guessing, at least for, you know, for me, before we, I started studying this, it would have been much easier to give three views on the millennium than it would have, what is Jesus calling me to do from Revelation? Which is exactly backwards. <laughs> right? Um, because we could be wrong on the millennium. Um, I'm presenting some things about how I think Revelation... It makes sense to me when I study it. But the main thing is not the views on the millennium. It's what Jesus is actually asking us to do and who he is. And that we can be very clear on. So to focus on the things that are less clear and miss the main message that is clear would be a big mistake. And so this chapter hits almost all of the main points of Revelation. And so we're just going to kind of go through that. So... My hope is that, although there will be a few little technical things here, that will this will help us kind of reorient. Because as we go through not just this passage, but the next couple passages in Revelation, we've got to remember these things. Remember, where is Jesus? What is this teaching about Christ? And these other images of different things are always going to be contrasting to Jesus, whether that's the prostitute or the wicked city that's going to be destroyed or the beast, or the dragon. All these things are teaching us something about Jesus. Okay. Now back. Now that's all overview into Revelation 14. And it's not going to be as long as it seems like. <laughs> uh, here, here we go. Okay. A few things from last week. This two chapters, 13 and 14, are very clearly connected. First off, we see that the followers of the beast are marked on the hand or the forehead, the mark of the beast. And then right at the very beginning, we see that the name of God is written on the foreheads of the followers of the, 
of believers, the 144,000. Another little note that isn't super clear in the English is that though it talks about the number of the beast being 666, everyone's clear that Jesus Jesus Christ, his, the, the number that would be associated with that name is 888, which is, seems very clearly contrasting 666, although we can't see that, like I said, in the English. But you could definitely tell that this is a contrast between Jesus and the beast, even if you, you, you don't know that. Okay, a couple thoughts on this, that our name is going to be written as a Christian on the forehead, or the mark of the beast is going to be written on the forehead or the hand. This is clearly an Old Testament reference to a few, to a few passages. I'll read those to you uh, briefly. Deuteronomy 6, 5-9. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I'm sure you remember this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You hear that? that our, God's word is supposed to be written on our hearts, it says first, but then it talks about on the back of your hand and as a frontlets between your eyes. What this is saying is, well, I'll give you a quote from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry says this, We should endeavor by all possible means to make the word of God familiar to us, that we may have it ready to us upon all occasions, for our restraint from sin and our direction and excitement to our duty. It must be that which is graven on the palms of our hands and always before our eyes. It is also suggested that we must never be ashamed to our own religion nor to our own selves under the check of government. Basically, it's a figurative thing. Although the Jews took it literally, they would put the you know little boxes with scripture on their hands and on their forehead, some of them, and even actually the first house Jess and I lived in, it was a... Um, a house that somebody had left a little thing that they got from Israel with a piece of the Torah in Hebrew nailed to the doorpost because of what this said here, which is kind of interesting um, that they had left when they left the house. But So they took this very literally, but this is pretty clearly figurative that if you don't have um, Bible, little Bibles on the back of your hands today, that's okay. And the same on your forehead. I don't see anybody that looks like with that. Uh, there's many things like this in the Bible I'll give you a couple examples that are very, very, very clearly figurative but sound almost exactly like this. Proverbs 7, Keep my words and treasure my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the pupil of your eye or apple of your eye. Um, we don't really talk about the apple of your eye, but it's talking about the pupil, um, the sensitive part of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Okay. Obviously, we can't write them on the tablet of our heart. That's clearly figurative. And the same with binding them on our fingers. I don't think we need to be worried about a literal mark of the beast on our hands or our forehead. That it's talking about where's our allegiance, where's our service, that it's to be to Christ. Our allegiance is to be to Christ. We're be ready to obey Christ and serve him with our hands and to understand that we either belong to him or to the beast. It's interesting, too, to know that one even people that take this very, very literally that, you know, I don't want to get a chip in my hand or my or whatever, or any of those things, uh, barcode tattooed on my hand or anything like that, people that take that literally aren't worried that they don't literally have anything written on their foreheads. 
um, which is the next piece, which in one in chapter fourteen, that if if the chapter thirteen is literal, then chapter fourteen should be literal interpreted literally as well, because it's literally the same language. Um, and so the reality is that this seems pretty clearly figurative, but it doesn't mean it's not meaningful. That just like we talked about last week, that we want to obey Christ in every situation, be ready to obey Him rather than. Uh, a corrupt leader or anyone that's demanding allegiance or worship or anything that's competing with Christ. And so that's what this is talking about here. All that is to say, um, what I promised I would say last week is touch briefly on the mark of the beast. So you don't need to be um, worried about those literal things, and you're not going to accidentally get the mark of the beast if you get a vaccine or something like that. Um, it's something where you're intentionally following not Jesus. And if we're intentionally following Jesus, we can we can trust um, that he will protect us and lead us and guide us. And that's what we should be doing. Okay. Now, that's kind of a side, not a side note, but I wanted to make sure and, and put a little bit more detail into that. And now we're going to kind of look at the whole chapter more broadly. Now, you may remember some of these things, but these are the main points of all of Revelation, and they all get hit here in chapter 14. I'll go through them briefly, and then I'll give you some references, and then I'll kind of summarize at the end. That the main message of Revelation is not the millennium, not all these other things, that the mark of the beast, what is it? All those things are not the main point, but the main point is all about Jesus. And here's a few things. That Jesus has authority. That we should have faith in Jesus. That there's forgiveness in Jesus that we should obey Jesus, that endurance is found in Jesus, and Jesus is calling us to endurance, that Jesus will have ultimate victory over evil, and that we should glorify Christ, God in general, and that these are the main messages, themes that run throughout chapter 1 to 22 in the book of Revelation. And they all get hit here. And in many ways they're contrasted with the beast in, in the previous chapter. And I'm just going to go through those fairly briefly here, but I am going to try and hit each one in a verse from this chapter. So we're going to jump around a little bit in chapter 14, but I hope this is helpful to you. Start with the authority of Jesus. That comes towards the end in chapter, let's read fourteen fourteen together. And then I looked, and behold, there was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, with a golden crown in his hand and a sharp sickle in his hand. The Son of Man is Jesus. With the crown on his head is Jesus. He's the King of Kings. We spent actually a whole message really driving that home, that Jesus Christ is not his first and his last name, but Christ means anointed Messiah. And the Messiah was a king, was to be a king, uh, and an eternal king. And that is Jesus. That's what it's talking about here in 1414. Jesus is the Son of Man, but he's also the King of Kings. He's got a crown on his head. He has authority. He has eternal authority. This is contrasting what we talked about last week in Revelation 13, where there is a beast who's allowed to have authority, but only for a time, time, and half a times, that his time is limited. And though he has authority for a time, Jesus has authority forever and ever. Jesus is ultimately in control. And so whenever we think about the end times, whenever we think about what's going on in the world, there's all these things going on right now uh, in like Israel and things like that, which... What should we know? Jesus is in control, that he is the king of kings, that though other kings and rulers and governments may have authority for a time, 
One day that's all going to be wiped away and Jesus is going to ultimately be in full control. Uh, he's already defeated sin and Satan and death, and the, but the battles are still ongoing until the final day when it's all going to be finished. No more battles, no more uh, authority for anyone else other than Christ, and things will be put right. So that could be a comfort to us at all times, but especially in times of political turmoil. Second, faith in Jesus. Jump back a couple verses here to Revelation 14.4. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. We're following someone. Everyone is following someone. We talked about last week that they. it says in Revelation 13.3 that they're following the beast. We're either following someone else or following Jesus. Another verse, Revelation 14.12 says, Here is the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. We're called to be people who have faith in Christ. Very, very simple, but very, very important. How different would our day be, our week be, our month be, our year be, our life be, if we, every day, were trusting Christ with everything going on? There's political things, like we already talked about. Who can we trust? Christ. We know that God's in control. We know that Nothing is out of control in terms of the world. That he, he is able and willing to stop evil. And if He allows it, it's only for a season. And we can trust Him. When things in our life are difficult, when we're facing difficulties, what do we do? We've got to be trusting Christ, whether that's persecution or suffering, whether that's emotional, physical, relational, spiritual. We've got to be trusting Jesus and he's trustworthy. He's absolutely trustworthy. Trust him. I mean, just think about it this way. If we could just believe, really, really believe, and hold to a few of the words of God every single day, throughout the day, how different would our life be? Right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Think about that. It's saying, is there anxiety? Absolutely. Are there things that worry us? Absolutely. But then what do we do? We take those to God. Think about that. How would our life be different if we just, every time these troubling things happened, we actually just naturally went to God in prayer and then we trusted Him? Huge, right? There's so many things like that, that just little things believing, just trusting what God says, how that would affect our life day day in and day out. Well, we could keep going on that, but there's several more I want to hit here. Next, forgiveness in Jesus. Forgiveness in Jesus. 14.4 again. We already read this. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed, purchased from mankind, first fruits for God and for the Lamb. That it's through Christ that we've been redeemed. We've been purchased. We've been, we were slaves to sin. We were under the wrath of God. We were children of the devil, but Christ, through his death on the cross, through the, being the sacrificial lamb, brought us out, bought us, and purchased us, that we have forgiveness in him. This is really, really important. This is essential, that we all are far from perfect. We're sinners. We've missed the mark. We've said to God, don't reign over me. I want to reign over myself. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do what you want to do. And yet God loved us. And came to die for us, to redeem us from that sin, from our rebellion. 
And he did it. He purchased a people, this 144,000, which I would say is, we've talked about this before, actually, this is the second time that 144,000 comes up. But this is a figurative number um, that the 144,000 doesn't mean there's only going to be 144,000 saved, that this is talking about a perfect number. There's 12,000 from every tribe, um, a completeness that means that every single person that God wants to save is going to be saved. And it's not talking about um, a literal 144,000. And we've covered that before, so I won't spend too much time on that. But we have forgiveness in Jesus. What is the response, though, to forgiveness? Well, we obey Jesus. A couple verses here related to this. And I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion, this is just the very first verse of chapter 14, stood the Lamb, and with him the 144,000 who had his name written, who had his name and the Father's name written on their foreheads. Here, this is verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints who keep the commandment of God and their faith in Jesus. Like I said before, you know, these name written on your forehead is your allegiance. Your allegiance is to the King of Kings, Jesus, if you're a Christian. And what does that mean? We obey the King. Just very simple to that. If he's our Lord, we obey him. And that's what it says here. Who keep the commandments of God. Uh, Revelation 14.12. We're keeping or obeying. We want to be people who obey. Obey Jesus. It's really, really easy as an American evangelical to get really, really focused on knowing. Like we really think knowing is the big thing a lot of times. I just want to know. I want to know what these things mean. I want to figure these things out. I want to know a lot of scripture. But the reality is, is that we want to take our value from the Bible. Is it important to know? Absolutely. It's very important to know. But that's not the ultimate value, according to God, right? That our culture has taken knowledge and made it um, out of balance in terms of importance. I'll give you an example. Imagine that this is, I'm taking this example from another pastor. I think I've shared this before. But imagine I said to one of my kids, go clean your room. And they said, okay, Dad. I got it. Go clean your room. And then later on I asked them, did you clean your room? And they said, Dad, I memorized exactly what you said. You said, go clean your room. And I said, and then they said, and guess what? I can tell you what, I can tell you it in Greek. <laughs> I was like, who cares? <laughs> right? Like, I ask you to do, I ask you to do something. And if you know it frontwards and backwards, but you don't actually obey what it's actually saying, it doesn't mean anything. And our culture kind of has that backwards, right? Right? I mean, to be honest, like, there's times where it's like, yeah, you can explain the Greek to me, but it seems pretty clear that you're not doing it. (laughs) And that's really, really important. Um, And so we want to obey Jesus in what we know. And many times we can pile up knowledge But the question that we have to ask all the time is, are we obeying what we do know? That's huge. And think about the book of Revelation and how we can apply that to all of this. We just want to obey what's clear in here. We really, really want to obey Jesus on what's clear because we could pile up mountains of knowledge knowing all the detailed connections. And if we're not obeying him, he may say to us just what he said in Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I said? 
That's scary, right? We've got to obey Jesus. We're not against knowledge, but we want to obey and live out all that we do know. Okay, we've got some more here, and I don't want to take too long. Endurance in Jesus. Endurance. This is really, really important. Let's say it this way. Will the God who saved me, is he able to sustain me, or is he going to sustain me? This is a big piece of the Christian life, right? When you're first saved, that's great. But it's not very long until you come into trials, you come into difficulties, and things get hard. And you're asking a different question. God, are you going to help me here? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to get through this month, today, this year? I've got emotional things, difficulties going on that feel overwhelming. I've got just busyness that feels overwhelming. Physically, you know, I'm sure you've all been there where there's times when you just don't know if you're going to make it because you're so tired. (laughs) Um, The reality is we've got a God who not only saved us, who loves us, who redeemed us, who we can trust, but who's going to help us endure. That's a really big deal, right? Really, really big deal. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Endurance of the saints, Revelation 14, 12. Uh, chapter 1, we t- it talks about how John is our brother in the tribulation and the patient endurance that is in Jesus. The reason we can endure is because Christ is going to continue to help us. That we don't have a Savior who is like an army officer who gives you orders from afar and leaves you to be. He is a king and a Savior who gives you definitely gives you orders that we should obey, but then is continually supplying you, helping you, guiding you. And one thing that we could take from this in terms of applying it to our lives is we do need to endure, but we have the resources to endure because Jesus is going to continue to help us. He's always here with us. He's a present help, a very present help in trouble. God is with us. And that's a really important thing, especially knowing the context here. Think about all the things we talked about last week with you know the Roman first century context of the persecution and the mistreatment and just how horrible things were. One of the you know, the original audience that first read this, these seven churches, and then later on, you know, more churches as well. But this first century audience needed to hear God, the God who saved you, is going to help you through these difficult times. And he's going to be with you. He's not going to leave you. He's going to be right there. Your name is going to be on his forehead. He's going to be doing things in the world, but he's also going to be doing things in your life, and he's going to be there with you. This is really important for us. Um, It's not how well you begin the Christian life, is it? Wow, you start really well if we don't endure, right? We want to endure to the end, and that takes patience, but takes faith, takes obedience in Christ, but in all those things we have help, and Jesus is there to help us. He's not a distant king, he's a present near king who loves us. Well, there's more that we could say on that, but let's keep going here. The victory of Jesus over evil, another big theme in the all of Revelation. Let's read Revelation 14.10 here. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be, this is talking about God's judgment, tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. In the end, Jesus is going to put justice right. He's going to put it out exactly right. Everything in the world that's been messed up, every sin is going to be perfectly balanced. 
It's all either going to be paid through Jesus' death on the cross or we're going to pay for our own sins through the righteous judgment. Um, but every sin will be accounted for and paid for and put right in, in the last day. Just to give you kind of a little bit of background here, there's a lot of um, double imagery here in this section on judgment. It's talking about wine and wrath and the wine press. And in Hebrew, they call wine uh, the, bl- um, the juice that comes from the grapes, uh, the blood of the grapes. And so there's kind of this um, double meaning here. I don't think it's actually literally talking about blood, like literal blood that's going to be flowing um, for 1600 stadia. It's a figurative, again, kind of a perfect number for 400s. Uh, you'll notice there's a lot of these, you know, square numbers or whatever in Revelation. Uh, what it's talking about is judgment. That God is, judgment's going to be done. Everything's going to be put right. And we can be thankful. But we can also be fearful. Uh, it was really interesting to me. I was reading this commentary by Keener. I've referenced this commentary several times. And he talked about how there's many times where people don't, they're kind of negative on fear um, as a motivator to come to Christ. And he said in his commentary, uh, pretty much something you can't really argue with, he said, well, as for, you know, there was, he, he talked about a specific young atheist who wasn't really interested, and then someone talked to him about judgment to come and kind of got him feeling some urgency and ended up being saved. And he was talking, he said, and, and I'm very thankful that somebody talked to me like that and, he, and I'm the one that I'm talking about. And he basically said, um, that's how what led him to be saved in the first place. And so I thought that you can't really argue with a personal testimony. <laughs> and it was a good example and a reminder that the reality of coming judgment is something we need to talk about because the Bible talks about it. It is pretty interesting in terms of even just being a, a dad or or a mom or a parent and talking to kids. You know, we, we read Bible stories and things like that, but there's been several times, at least with us, where kind of the eyes grow wide and there's some sense you can kind of see in, in you know, sometimes you can see in people's minds the wheels turning. And for me and our family, a lot of those times have been when we read stories about like Samson or some of these Old Testament um, people who really make all these bad decisions, and we just talk about, you know, God gave every one of us, you know, why did that happen? You know, there's always the why questions. Why, why, why? Why did that happen? Why did they do this? And then talking about, well, God gave each one of us a choice, and you have a choice, and God will will let you, if you want to, reject him. He will let you. And it's like, the eyes go wide. It's like, the wheels are turning like, wow, I can choose to reject God, and he'll let me do that. It's like there is some sense of weight, of responsibility, that God's going to let us rebel if we want. It doesn't mean there's never going to be justice. But it definitely means that your decisions today and in your life are weighty. That's a big decision to reject the Lord. And this is this section and a lot of the sections in Revelation. We see the end of that. What's the end? The end is destruction, right? Sin is saying to God, don't reign over me. I don't want you to be my king. I want the beast to be my king, or I want to be my own king. And what's the result of that? It's destruction. It's not life, it's death. If you turn away from the giver of life, you're choosing death. Well, there's more we can say on that too, but um, 
let's finish up here. The last point, a uh, big piece of revelation is that we should glorify God. We should worship God, uh, glorify Jesus. Revelation 14.7. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him great glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and the worship and worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. It's really interesting that if you were going to write a book to people who are in extremely difficult times of suffering, would you think to put in there a bunch of stuff about make sure you're worshiping God? That's what God did. There's a lot about worship. and There's some connection here to the book of Psalms. Think about if you're really suffering, what books do you go to? A lot of people go to the Psalms. Think about that. There's something about suffering that leads to worship or should lead to worship to realize in the midst of it all, God is still who he said he was and he's still good and he's still worthy of worship. And it really changes our mindset when we're in suffering just to praise, to stop and think, take our mind off of our present circumstances and feelings and and sorrows and troubles and trials and to look at God, who he is, and, and just worship him. He made heaven and earth. He loved us. He died for us. He's the lamb who was slain. He's the king of kings. He's a perfectly just judge. All these things don't change. And we can, in moments of difficulty, can and should, look to him and worship him. God, thank you for who you are. Again, we talked about this, I think, last week. There's so many times where, as a culture, we we take a few things and we I think we like simplicity. I think all people kind of like simplicity. And that's probably why we do this. But what should our the daily Christian life look like? And a lot of times it's read your Bible and pray. And those are true things. I mean, we should be meditating on the Scripture. We should be praying at all times. But there's so much more that the Bible says that really affects our life. Think about it this way. What if we had in our minds, yeah, but also what about worship? What about taking time to worship God for who he is and thank him and be grateful, meditate on who he is and what he's done and just praise him? It's important. I think even just in terms of our like emotional things and mood things, that would help us because, I mean, studying the Bible is hard work, right? And sometimes prayer is labor, you know, as well. And But you know what's really, really pleasant? Just thinking about all the wonderful things that God has done for you, that he's given you, that you get to experience day in and day out, and just praising and thanking him. God, you're a wonderful creator. Thank you for making the sky beautiful. Thank you for making my wife or my husband beautiful. Thank you for making my kids beautiful. Thank you for the beauty of marriage and and we got new babies, childbirth and new life coming into the world and fall for <laughs> the leaves on the tree changes. There's so many wonderful things that we can thank God for and really in the midst of suffering it's important. So I would just say this, I mean, I don't think I would have thought to say this, you know, it's like this is what the book you know, what God said in his word. The 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 best book in the world, the, the book that God gave us, is really wanting to emphasize worship. Worship. Don't forget, in the midst of suffering, worship. And it's important. Well, I'll just summarize here, kind of towards the end. Um, there's quite a bit about here about judgment. Um, probably a whole other message, but we're almost to to noon here. Uh, we're, we'll have plenty of opportunities. We're going to, I think, do a whole message kind of on on wrath and why 
why is it essential if a God is a God of love that he would want to punish sin and put things right? And so we're going to talk about that, but we'll just have to save that for, for, for another week here. But um, I'll wrap, wrap it up with this. What, what is this section showing us about Christ? What does this show me about Christ? What is Christ calling me to obey? What does this teach me about my role in his kingdom? And how does it affect my life and thinking today? All these questions really hone in on these things we've already talked about, that Jesus is in control, that he has authority, that we can trust him, that we can and must trust him, have faith in the midst of difficulties, have faith when things are going well. We obey him, we worship him, that he is going to have ultimate victory over evil, and that Knowing these things, there's a million ways we can apply these throughout our, our life. Little things uh, every day. I mean, even just think about in terms of him having ultimate victory over evil. That we can forgive. That we can let things go. Why? Because it's not our job to punish or to put everything right. It's God's, and he's going to do it. We don't have vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. You know, We don't have to take vengeance. God knows. And he's going to do it better than we could. <laughs> Um, he's going to put things just right. So many little things throughout the day that if we have these in our mind, that free us up to be the people God wants us to be. And so I'm just hoping this is a help to you. Uh, many of this, much of this is review. But to kind of end where we started, we don't want to lose the blessing of the book, right? Wouldn't it be sad if God put a blessing at the beginning and the end of this book, Revelation, about hearing and obeying what said, and if we didn't get that blessing because we were so focused on who is the beast, what you know, what's this, you know, what's the number of the beast, and all these things. If you're going to remember anything from all the things that we talked about, I'm just begging you, please remember these things about Christ, about who He is, about these main points, because this is really, really important for the Christian life. Far more important than knowing exactly what you know, the number of the beast is. And so I hope these are the things you remember from from this series that we've done. I've really tried to hammer this home, maybe too much. But I'll read this thing again to you one more time, these blessings. And these are promises too. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep or obey what is written in them, for the time is near. And behold, this is 22, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. If we're going to be ready for Jesus to return, this is what we need. We need to have faith in Christ. We need to know that he's in control, that we can trust him. We need forgiveness. And so I would just say, pray about these things, think about these things, and maybe reread this chapter this week at some point and just think think about worshiping God for who he is, about the reality of the goodness of him overcoming evil. And and just know there's a blessing here for you, um, for those who hear and obey. All right, well, why don't we close in prayer, and then we'll have our meal here together. Father, we're just thankful. We're thankful for your word, thankful that the main things are very clear. Um, Would you just help us uh, to have these truths uh, clear in our minds, and would you help them to work their way out into our life this week? Thank you for this new baby and the healthy 
baby, healthy mom. We're very thankful for that. I pray for these other pregnancies as well, uh, that there would be healthy deliveries and healthy babies. We just hand that to you. We trust you. We pray for this whole situation uh, in Israel and all this stuff going on over there. We're thankful that you're in control, that this isn't a surprise to you. And we pray that you'd protect, um, especially innocent moms and, and kids, uh, over there, um, pray that you'd put a hedge of protection about your people. Um, just like Aaron was talking about some of these Christians who, who are living over there in Israel, uh, maybe they'd have an opportunity Pray that more people would come to know you, uh, through just seeing their need, um, the shortness of life. We just hand it all to you. Um, we're thankful that you're going to come back and put everything right and put an end to war and famine and suffering, and we're looking forward to that day. Um, I pray, though, you would save more people, pray save our kids, um, save lost family members, save friends, lost friends, um, save people in the Kirksville jail and Kirksville community and Missouri and all the way to the ends of the earth. We want, want people to know you. We're just looking to you today. We're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for all these things we talked about, babies and families and the fall leaves and the sky and this beautiful weather that we've had and just everything you've, you've done for us. We're thankful. I pray you'd help us. That could be the attitude of our heart as a worshipful attitude this rest of the day and this week. And thank you most of all for being a good king, for dying for us on the cross. We're thankful uh, for forgiveness and new life in you. Amen.